Psalm 37. Yeah, I'm going to read seven verses. I'm going to read all seven. Starting with verse 1. Beautiful passage. Starting with verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. You know, David has other verses like this one. Have you ever read them? You can say, Lord, and crush their bones. And, you know, all that, you know, David has other verses that read this way. This one's actually not that strong comparatively. He has others that are, uh, that are a little stronger. But that's not the point as you kind of see where it takes uh, a little bit of a turn starting in verse 2. Uh, verse two. Well, actually, we read verse 2, but verse 3. Uh, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers. This is a return to verse 1 here. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Father, we thank you again. Speak now by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. So these um, passages I've titled tonight, a matter of faith and focus. Uh, there's a lot of things that we can focus on in life, isn't there? There's a lot of things going on in the world. There's a lot of things that go on in our own life, in our families, our job situations, financial things, health things, mind things, right? You know, just difficulty. Life can be pretty hectic, pretty messy. But you also see people that seem like the psalmist starts out here, and it is David, uh, it starts out like, Lord, those people, they got it made. Look, look at them. They, they, got, they got everything. They got a newer car than me. They got a better house than me. Their health is better. Their family looks cooler, right? Their hair is nicer than mine. You know, all these things, right? You know, all of these things that you can look at. And God speaking to his heart and said, no, no, you're, you're focused on the wrong thing. You're looking on, God says, man looks on the outward, but God looks where? On the heart. God wants to speak to our hearts. He wants to say, hey, you're going to have to, you know, all of us have to focus on something. The question is what we're going to focus on. Matter of fact, we all do focus on things, don't we? Whether you realize, and a lot of times you, you, as a Christian, you realize, Lord, I don't even want to focus on this, and I am. We, we struggle with that, don't we? Things that we don't want to focus on. And Paul even talked about things I don't want to do, that I do, and things I don't want to do, that. So we have that, we have that struggle. But David outlines some things that we can do to effectively start to kind of, you know, when they, I mentioned uh, the horse gate Sunday, the Kentucky Derby's coming up, right? And what do they do with horses? They put blinders on them because thoroughbred racehorses, if you can keep them focused, they're a thing of beauty, aren't they? I mean, they just haul. 
But if they become distracted and they turn, not only can it cause them to lose the race, but they can actually break a leg and everything else because they get their weight out of balance, right? Because they're looking in the wrong direction. And boy, we can actually trip and fall when we're looking in the wrong direction too, can't we? You ever trip over something you didn't see there, right? You ever seen comedians do that? They always, they always show us looking around. Did anyone see that? You know, straighten out your walk. But the Lord is saying here, here's the things I want you to focus on. And we want to look first at these uh, first two verses, verses 1 and 2, um, which I have got a little outline you can kind of follow along with tonight. There we go. The first one we want to take a look at. Don't worry or envy. Easier said than done, right? Well, I don't have a problem with envy, but most people, I'm saying maybe you're saying that. Hey, I don't have a problem with envy. I haven't envied in a long time, but most people still worry at times, right? And envy still creeps in. Sometimes envy creeps in when we don't really realize it, and then we kind of realize that really was a little bit of envy, even years later. Kind of a little bit, can be a little bit, even ministry related envy, you know, sometimes. Churches can envy other churches, all these things. But um, here he's talking about specifically the world that doesn't follow the Lord. Because the world that doesn't follow the Lord doesn't have to follow the same rule book we follow. So sometimes it seems like because they have no rules, they have no limitations of success. Does that make sense? Because they don't have any rules. They don't have to follow any of the rules we have to follow. They can kind of do whatever they want. And it all comes up roses. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like grass. Don't worry or envy. Satan wants, now this, I don't look at this passage. As a matter of fact, a lot of passages I'll look at, there's its obvious meaning, its most direct meaning is to worry or be envious of the world. And that is the primary meaning. But I don't believe it's the only. I think there's some secondary here for a lot of us. Satan wants all of us to live in the natural state of verse 1. What is the natural state? Worry and want. Worry and want, right? The pride of life, right? The cares of this world, stuff, or, or fears, worries, fears. And if we never get past that first state, um, we'll never grow in the Lord. We'll always be looking out there. We need something else. We're worried about everything. These, few, uh, these first few words, they cover so much. They cover uh, not just the outside world itself, but we don't just struggle against flesh and blood, right? Principalities. Powers. You could also just say, it, you could also stop it at this, uh, do not fret because of evil and drop the doers. Does that make sense? Do not fret because of evil. Because there's always evil out there. There's evil in the world as it relates to potential nuclear wars or terrorism. But there's also the evil of Satan comes against you personally. Not Satan. He's actually reserved for some of the most godly Christians on earth, so well, maybe you are one. I don't know. But uh, I think people like Paul got hounded by Satan specifically. Moses did. John the Baptist. There's, you know, but uh, most of us get some low-level demons, right? But they still are real. 
And there really is an enemy that fights against your family, that fights against your job, that fights against your mind, that fights against you. And then you have your own flesh that you also have to deal with on a regular basis because our own flesh is a problem. But he is saying, look, and it's our flesh that becomes worried and envious, right? That is our flesh. But the enemy knows how to push our buttons. He knows which buttons to push. So it covers our enemy. We have an enemy. We have our own minds. And we have our surroundings. Our surroundings where we look and say, why, why don't we have that new thing? Why, don't we, why didn't we get the job promotion? Why is their health better than mine? All of these different things. The enemy wants us to live a life saying, why or why bother, or that's not fair, or it's not worth it. Those are all the things that the enemy, there's more, but that gives you a sample set of things the enemy wants everyone, even in the church, to live by. To think, go around saying that, why, why, not fair, what about this? Jesus had a lot to say about this. Remember in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 and 26, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap and gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I love looking at the birds, don't you? They're never, they're never impressed by nice cars, your new clothes, you know, your, what's in your bank account. I, you know, we were pump, I was pumping gas yesterday, and it was, yesterday felt more miserable to me. It was wet and windy. It felt colder to me than today, but I, I was out there. I had to pump gas. I look up, and it is just, it's real windy. It was by one of the main highways. It was wet, windy, and I hear this sound of this bird just singing like crazy, and I, I knew it. it had to be a cardinal because I know their sound. I look up, and there he was just sitting there, wind howling, I mean, just blowing this pine tree. He's sitting up there just singing away. I'm like, that is a good disposition. Jesus said, look at the bird. Look at him. Matthew 13, 22, parable of the sower, he said, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches will choke out the word and he becomes unfruitful. What kind of cares? Well, it's not just, uh, it's not just the cares of, well, I want what they have, but it's also the cares of worry. It's both. It's the cares of covetousness, but it's also the cares of God won't take care of me. Both. Those are both cares of the world. And they choke us out to the point where we become unfruitful. We tend to focus on what we don't have. We tend to focus on next week, on our past, on what other, ha other, other people have, on our fears, on our failures, on our issues, on our illnesses, on our limitations, on just about anything but the presence of God and his love for us. Sometimes we just need to re-quote to ourselves, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Isn't that great? God said, I love you with an everlasting love. You have what you need. And so the Lord is saying here, and we're going to look at, there's one don't, and that's the first two verses here. But the rest, six, the rest of these six things are the do's. Because if you just say, all right, I'm not going to worry, I'm not going to worry, I'm not going to worry, I'm not going to covet, I'm not going to covet. You will. It has to be replaced by something. And so God gives us uh, six things here 
that we can take a look at to do because just telling ourselves, I will not do that, I will not. We don't live by the Ten Commandments anymore in the New Covenant. We have, they're written on our tablets of our heart. But Jesus has given us something to do, a commission to do. Not just don't do this. Don't commit adultery. Don't do this. Don't do that, right? Don't lie. All of these things. No, we don't want to worry. We don't want to envy. We don't want to be jealous of what the world has. And, and, and the other thing he keeps in perspective here is remember, this is their heaven. This is their heaven. One second after death, I don't care if you're a billionaire, you're not enjoying one bit of it. True? That's what he's saying. David's saying, look, they have all this stuff, and yes, they seem to have the world by its tail or something, but as soon as they pass, it's too late. There's no opportunity to say, wow, did I make the wrong choice? He says, don't be envious of them. Don't be envious of those that have rejected Christ. Now, uh, we're not to be against them. We, we are to reach out with the gospel, to reach out with love. You know, I, in my former life, I, I met a lot of wealthy, powerful people. I don't hardly anymore. Not, in a, not, not pastoring on 11900 Genito Road. But when you, when you go to other cities and you go to other things, you meet people and you still want to tell them the truth. But as Pastor Billy talked about last week, it's harder for a rich person to enter into heaven than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's, it's a big hindrance. It's a massive weight. I've learned that people that are extremely good looking, people that have extremely great gifts or talents like athleticism, music, extremely wealthy, those things a lot of times down through world history have been major hindrances to them coming to the Lord because they trust in those things, don't they? So if you don't have a lot of talent, you are a better candidate to get to Christ sooner a lot of times. Because <laughs> you're like, oh, I don't bring that. Now, everyone should come to that conclusion, but not everybody does. Let's take a look at um, these next six, six things. We just want to go through uh, these do's and how they can work in our life. The first one, trust in the Lord, says uh, right there in verse 3, trust in the Lord. And we'll stop there where the comma is. When I first got saved, 1995, the first verses that I meditated on a lot were Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. We have to come to the place and say, Lord, I just... I'm just going to trust you. We have to pray it a lot. We have to say it a lot. I'll say that again. You got to pray it a lot. You got to say it a lot. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. There's actually power in saying that. Just like there's power in a bad way in people saying words that bring harm and destruction and, and pain. You know, people have been damaged by words. We actually build ourselves up in the faith by words that we speak. There is power in the tongue. Not power like I have any power or you have any power to say, uh, be healed. You know, I don't have that. I wish I did. I would have done it a long time ago to a lot of people. But what we can do is we say, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I believe you. Lord, I believe you. There is power in repeating truth to ourselves. 
I, I quote it ever since I kind of kind of latched onto it, and I'll say it again. You know, Dr. Charles Stanley's been saying for years in his church, and I, I like to follow him and saying to trust God and leave the results up to him. And we have to make that determination. Lord, I'm going to trust you. So this is just kind of like uh, the starting block, if you will. You know, the, the athlete gets ready in the position to run, but first you have to put your feet in whatever, the, I don't know what the thing's called, but you know, you're about to run the 100 meter. You got to put your feet there in, what do they call it, the stock or what? LeBlanc, yeah, stocks, <laughs> yeah. You're not jailed there. You're, you're, <laughs> you, you can get out of that thing, you know, so... You put, them, you put them in the block, so, but you have to be there in the position to even participate. And a certain truth of that is uh, found in our own life. We have to put ourselves in a position that we can be propelled forward and first say, Lord, we're going to trust you. And you've got to keep reminding yourself of that. I have to keep reminding myself of that. The third here, do good and labor. Now, it doesn't say the word labor, but it's implied and do good. Ephesians tells us, why would I say it's implied? Anytime the Bible tells you to do something, it's gonna, it's gonna, you're going to have to take some level of effort to do anything. It's going to require a level of effort. Ephesians tell us we have been created for good works. That's the whole reason we were created. Remember, I talked a few Sundays, uh, Sundays back you know, bees and ants were created for what they do, and they do it really well. And they don't deviate from it. We've been created for good works. He has done a good work in us to do his good works through us. He's done it in us to do it through us. But we still have to do them, don't we? No one else can live your life for you. You're going to have to live it for you. I'm going to have to live it for me. I, I mean, we're living it for Jesus, but I mean, no one else can walk my walk but me. No one else can walk your walk but you. No one else can do the work you're called to do. Your specific, everyone has been given something from God for them to do. He has done a good work in us. But we have to go and do them. We, we have to move forward with some faith and a level of resolve. That, Lord, we're going to do this. I don't know how, but you're going to help us. God will do his part, won't he? That's a guarantee. God will do his part. Philippians 1.16, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Not just complete it, well, five years from now, ten years, but all the way till the coming of the Lord. Dr. Tony Evans not that one. I'm not there yet. We'll come back to that. Uh, it's by no means, uh, the work that God's doing, done in us, it's by no means done, but it's well underway, isn't it? The work is underway. Our job is to go and do the work he's placed in our hands. For, for, for parents, we have to parent. Maybe you're a grandparent here. God wants you to still instill things, even as a grandparent, into those grandkids and into your kids too. They still are looking to you for more guidance than you might think. We have to disciple the kids. We have to disciple the people that God puts in our life. If you're a father or, or even a mom, you've got to work and provide. We've got single parents here that are going to have to work and provide. We've got uh, parents here that are going to have to work and provide for the home. 
have to serve in ministry. We have to find a place that we can minister, that we can serve. Uh, say, well, I, I, I'm older. I can't do this. Can you be a prayer warrior? Something good that God would say, that I'll bless. Find people to help and encourage. There's hundreds, thousands, millions of people that need encouragement. Now, we can't reach all of them, but we certainly can reach some, can't we? And you were here Sunday, you saw Jonathan Krause's videos. It's daunting, like, where do you start, right? Well, you start by doing something. That's what the psalm says. Just do, go do some good. Stop focusing on ourselves and look outside of ourselves. Do the things that God's called us to do. Jesus said, look up. The fields are white into harvest. Look out there. They're, they're ready. They're ready to be harvested. Well, I'm not sure they're ready. Jesus says, trust me, they're ready. Put your hand to the plow. Be a fisher of men. We talked about the fish gate. Be a light. Say, Lord, help me to be a light today. I need your help to be a light today. How am I going to be a light? I, you know, I was reading a little articles talking about just even you going through the checkout line, put your phone in your back pocket, smile and make eye contact and encourage the person you're talking to. You never know. They could be contemplating suicide and your one nice comment could turn their thinking. Did you realize, do we realize that? The people we're meeting just day in and day out, Jesus said, I've sent you to be salt and light. You have something to bring to the table, not in us, but Christ in us, the hope of glory. <laughs> doing what we should and can do is a shield against doing nothing. Doing what we can and should do is a shield against doing nothing. It's also, when we do those things that we should be doing, it keeps us from doing those things we shouldn't be doing. That's the good thing about the Christian life. You don't focus so much on, I can't do that. You just focus on what you are doing. You don't have time to do the sins you used to do. You're just, you're just busy washing feet in the world, if you will. And you're busy working in the vineyard. You don't have time to get into the trouble that maybe you did before Christ. And lastly, doing the things that Christ has asked us to do it's healing for our minds and our inner man. It's healing for our minds and our inner man. We don't really ever satisfy the inner thirst by just serving ourselves. Have you ever found that? When you say, I'm just going to have lots of me time. At the end of it, you don't feel that much better. And I'm not saying that there's not time to have rest and solitude. I believe there's value in having some rest and solitude. But again, if you make life all about ourselves, instead of doing the things Jesus said, go out there and do these things, get your hands dirty in the work of God, that actually nourishes us and gives us more peace than we ever would understand. Do good and labor. Next one. Dwell and feed. It is impossible to dwell, he says, Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. It is impossible to dwell where God has placed us and feed on his faithfulness unless we dwell with him in prayer and worship and we feed on his word. Jesus said it this way, remember? 
in John 15, abide in me and I'll abide in you. We have to abide. We have to dwell. We have to feed on the goodness and faithfulness of the Lord. This is my quote from Dr. Tony Evans. Here we go. He said, the bottom line, so think about just dwelling with God and having that relationship where we pray all the time, where we're talking to the Lord. As Paul said, pray without ceasing. Dr. Tony Evans says, the bottom line is to pray. If you're, if you're tired, sick, emotionally overwhelmed, pray. If you're on cloud nine and life seems perfect, pray. If you lack direction, pray. If you doubt that prayer can make any difference, pray. If the circumstances of your life are out of con your control, pray. If the circumstances of your life seem well within your control, pray even harder. Whatever you do, pray. It's to dwell with God, to say, Lord, in the things that I think I've got under control, I'm dwelling with you and leaning on you. The things that I know I don't have control over, which, by the way, none of it we really have control over. It's kind of a, a myth that we have control over this but not over this. But no matter what, when things are going well, talk to the Lord. Walk by his side. You know, in the Bible, remember in the Old Testament, Enoch said Enoch walked with God and was no more. He just kind of walked up into heaven with God. That's the relationship. God says, I want you to dwell with me. Wherever Enoch was placed on the earth and wherever you're placed on the earth, you're not told to walk away from. You, you have responsibilities here. But just dwell with the Lord. Talk with the Lord. Abide with the Lord. Be in the word with the Lord. Worship the Lord. And again, the same is true with the word. Not just this prayer abiding. We talked about the water gate on Sunday, how important it is. We have to bring the water in. It, it, it takes some intentionality. We have to open the word. We have to grow in faith, Romans 10, 17, by hearing the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So we dwell with the Lord in prayer. We dwell with the Lord in the word. Another point here is to dwell with the people of God. You're doing it tonight. You came out. You're dwelling with the people of God. Friday night fellowship, some of you will be at. You know, we have many opportunities. I think ladies were in the study last night. You know, I think young at heart, you guys had a great Sunday of ladies getting together. And, you know, you can't do everything. I'm not talking about, I'm not saying be at every single function. No one's able to be at every function. I wouldn't even want you at every function. I don't want me at every function. But... We have to have places where we dwell with the people of God because it's the people of God that will encourage you in your walk with God. Your unsaved co-workers are not going to say, tell me about your prayer life. I want to encourage your walk with Jesus. No. They want to tell you about, I bought another flat screen, right? I got this going on. My kid won everything. Your kid's not winning anything. All this kind of stuff, right? They're not encouraging your walk. They're always one-upping. They're always trying to show you that their life is cooler and their life is better and their Instagram, Instagram account makes yours look so lame. But the people of God, we shouldn't be competing with one another. We should be binding each other up, building each other up, saying, you can make it. You can do this. Yes, you can raise that toddler. Yes, you can see that college kid stay with the Lord. Yes, we'll pray with you. So it's dwelling with the Lord, but it's also dwelling with the people of God. Why is this important? Well, we talked about this again with the sheep gate. We all had to come through the same sheep gate. Why? Because we're all little sheep. 
The sheep stay in a flock. And the sheep, the flock dwells as a flock together. They're not like this sheep is over here, this sheep's over here, this sheep. No, they have to stay in a flock. Jesus said, feed my flock. That's what he said to Peter. He said, feed the flock. The flock, part of our strength is dwelling together. Um, I like, you know, the opposite of sheep. I like animals. I love lions. They have a pride. The reason why they are so effective is they actually have strength in numbers. And so even though you're, you'll fan out to your different places of school, work, everything, we come back and dwell together, but also you have to dwell with the Lord one by one because there's lots of time when the flock's not with you and you're, you still have to be walking with Jesus. He's the good shepherd. But you want to be around people that encourage you. And lastly, this just might be a literal help or hint um, where he says dwell on the land. And I, I look at the Bible. I try and look at every verse from as many angles as at least I can digest for the length of time I have to teach or whatever else. I think there is a little bit of a literal help hint here. Um, enjoy God's creation. There was an old, uh, I can't remember who the pastor was. It was a long time ago. I was reading, I don't know if he wrote hymns or something, but he encouraged uh, his church or people to every day, two or three times a day, make sure you look up and see the wonder of God. If you're going to dwell in the land and God's created it, don't just let it snow today. Be impressed with God's creative design. Be impressed and amazed that, hey, he, you know, we were, we were driving in, so I was reminding my girls, yeah, it's weird to me. I know under a microscope every single snowflake is different. How, how does God do that? And then my girls are like, well, that blows my mind. It should blow our minds. Dwell in the land, but also appreciate, you know, turn off the technology and device sometimes and just smell the pine trees. See what God has done. Look at his creation. Get outside. But again, that's secondary. The spiritual is the most important. Let's take a look at number five here. He goes on. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. There it is. You're going to win the lottery. You're going to win Publishers Clearinghouse. That's what you've been drinking. now. <laughs> There's this, this verse has had some really wacky teaching at times in, uh, in American pulpits. We're not going to do that. But it is a great promise, isn't it? Delight yourself also in the Lord. Now, the reason why this passage has been really messed up at times, they're not teaching people to delight themselves in the Lord. They're teaching people to delight themselves in stuff. It doesn't say delight yourself in prosperity. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say delight yourself in wads of cash. Delight yourself in more stuff. It doesn't say that. It says you delight yourself in the Lord. Anyone that understands the holiness of God, the purity of Jesus, the sacrificial life of Jesus, you know, you're delighting yourself in one that doesn't think like worldly systems do. But it's also, if you're going to delight yourself in the Lord, you have to understand that God, Jesus said, I've come that your joy may be full too, right? Delight is a choice. We have a choice to be miserable or to delight. It's going to be impossible to delight in the Lord if our focus is doom and gloom. Can't have a doom and gloom focus. Yes, 
There is an end coming. There is, God is going to someday judge the whole world. Uh, but that's in his sovereignty and his timing. For us, we're still to be filled with joy. And some people are never going to get anyone to come to Christ. They're going to look at, well, you're, you look angry and miserable or whatever else. No, we're to be delighted in the Lord. And part of that comes by what we think on to delight in the Lord is to say, Lord, what are the things that will actually put us in the right countenance, put us in the right spirit? And you know this passage, Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, finally. It's like, all right, here, here's the deal. Let's, Paul, let's boil it down. Finally, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. This is kind of ruling out the news, isn't it, right? Uh, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. What a great piece of advice. We find ourselves digesting all the opposite of that. Now, I'm not saying that we're, no, we're, we're probably in this room no longer watching the filth we watched before salvation, and yet there's still this middle gray you know, maybe sometimes say, wow, I, I really feel dirty after that. You know, there is times that that happens. But I'm saying, for the most part, most people I know that are trying to serve the Lord haven't gone back to the things that they used to do. And yet, we still will kind of get bogged down with things that in no way fit this list. Noble, just, lovely. You'd say, well, I kind of put it in the category of worthless. Right? It's not really wicked, but it's, well, let me see. Is it just, is it pure? No, it wouldn't fit in pure. Is it lovely? No. Is it a good report? No, not really. Praiseworthy. There's nothing praiseworthy. Then why do we just do this? Well, because, right, we want to be entertained or we want to be, you know, check the mind off or shut it down. But the Bible says this is actually action. To meditate on these things is to proactively say, Lord, I'm going to think of things that are lovely and a good report and pure and righteous. And this is for all of us here. Everyone can improve in this area. All of us. And it'll improve our inner man, our spirit, our joy. I think another point here is to do a couple things consistently. The, the Christian life is all about, and I look at this list, it's all about consistently, day in and day out, just keep. And as, as we take these steps day by day, they become more consistent in our life, and our walk becomes more consistent, our joy becomes more consistent. Things don't become consistent until we do them for a regular period of time. And then, we, and then after that, we actually do them a little more correctly, with a little more pure motives, because God just kind of keeps, you ever wring out a, 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 a towel and you think you got every bit of it out, and you wind it up one more time, and if you're at the pool you, when you're a kid, you, hey, grab the other end, you know, pull this, you know, you can just keep wringing it out, and that's what God's doing in us, he keeps wringing out some of what's still in there, it's not rejoicing, it's not full of joy, but another point here, things that we can do consistently as we exercise our minds, we say, Lord, how do I meditate? How do I focus on the right things? And that's to praise God and to thank God. Remember we talked about at the beginning, at the outset, say, Lord, 
I trust you. I believe in you. But we're also saying, Lord, thank you, and I praise you. Thank you, and I praise you. Jesus, whatever. Every time he broke bread, he, just, he thanked his Father. He even thanked him for the cup that he was about to drink of the cross. Talk about thanking God in every situation. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. There's no time that we can't rejoice. I find myself, even in times, um, and I'll get to this, I'll see I'll, when we get to the end, these last two. I find myself sometimes rejoicing in things that I know, like, I would never rejoice in this if I hadn't been told specifically to rejoice in all things. There's things that will happen to you. Things will go wrong. My schedule got blown up today. Maybe yours did. I mean, it really did. I'm thinking, and in my mind, I'm, I'm about to get agitated with it. Instead, I say, all right, Lord, thank you for this change in my calendar. Thank you for directing my steps. Psalm 9.1, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my, all my heart. It's a choice to thank. It's a choice to praise. Now, I think the dividend of that sometimes won't show up in our life for a month later, two months later, months later. But we keep depositing. We keep depositing praise, thanks, delight in ourselves, Lord. Keep depositing there. And it's building spiritual interest that will all of a sudden explode with compound interest in our life down the road. And these little things now that we do will pay off later. That's in our last two points in just a second. We have to develop the discipline and faith to expect God. He says, you'll, you'll get the desires of your heart. Well, we can expect God to work on our behalf. We can expect him to work on our behalf. We can expect him to honor our obedience, not because we're worthy, but because he's made the promise. He's the one that's made the promise. We didn't make the promise. We can expect him to answer our prayers. And to fill us with the joy of the Lord, even in really difficult circumstances. This has been done thousands upon thousands of times with saints before us. And the more we abide and walk with Christ, the more our desires become his desires. Then you really kind of see your desires coming to fruition because your desires become like Jesus. Man, I desire people saved. All right. That I'll honor. I desire to have more joy. That I'll honor. More peace. That I'll honor. I desire to pour into people's lives. That I'll honor. Lord, I desire a Bentley. That what I didn't hear, right? Like, I was probably not. That, that's not on his big list. Then the desires will be increasingly met because they're spiritual in nature and they become pure desires. Number six, commit and trust. Commit and trust. He says, verse five, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. That trust was mentioned earlier, but here we have it in combination with commitment. Uh, have we partially committed our ways to the Lord? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. Are we kind of partially committed? Not all the way in. I got one foot in and one foot out when it comes to commitment. Webster's defines commitment as a pledge or a bind to a person or an organization or to a certain cause. We have actually all three. We have a pledge to Jesus Christ. We have a pledge to the body of Christ which is an organization, and we have a pledge to the cause of the gospel. We have a pledge to all three. We have a commitment we're bound to. We're in wedlock 
We are the bride of Christ. We are in wedlock to Jesus. We're supposed to be, right? We know he's committed to us. Are we committed to him? Do you want a, uh, do you want a committed spouse or like a partially committed spouse? Yeah, I don't care. If, if you're 40% committed, that's good enough. No, we want a fully committed spouse. Without commitment, what do we really have in anything? Think about it. Without commitment, what do we really have? Your kids say, uh, what's for dinner? Eh, I'm not really committed to making dinner tonight. I'm partially committed. I'll let you know by midnight if the commitment comes to fruition or not. No, we're supposed to say, yes, Lord, I'm committed. There's nothing accomplished without commitment. And is there really saving faith without commitment? We're not saved by works. Pastor Billy did a great job on this last week. We're not saved by works, but works uh, certainly are a proof point of our salvation. James said faith without, faith without works is dead. The following of a commitment, when people say I've committed my life to Jesus Christ, what does that mean? It means we've taken up the cross. It means we have taken ourselves off the throne and said, Lord, committed to you. Many people Many people will say, and I think uh, many erroneously, because Jesus said many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and they'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. But sadly, many people will say, yeah, I gave my sins to Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus. And you might say, well, have you given your way to Jesus? You know, Frank Sinatra sang that song, I Did It My Way. A lot of people still have that song as their lifestyle. Even people that name the name of Christ, they kind of do it their own way. I do, I do what I want, and then I kind of pray about the big stuff. And he's still doing things their own way. Trusting, and what that is, is trusting our own selves. Do you know what the Hebrew word here for commit really means? It's pretty cool when you kind of look at this. I did a little digging on this one. Um, the Hebrew word for commit here, uh, what it means is to roll, to roll away, to roll down, and to roll together. Now think about it like this. When a rock starts, you take a big rock, about as big as this rock. When it starts rolling down the mountain, there's not really any stopping it, right? Once God gets us going in his direction, we kind of are under the control of the Holy Spirit because we committed. Once you jump off a cliff with the Lord, right? There's not any turn. You're not climbing back up the air at that point. And so he, the, the, the mindset here is that we have basically allowed, say, Lord, go ahead and push me in that direction. And the momentum, and so, and I gave my life to Christ in 1995. I've, I've never gone back to the world. I have zero intention. But part of that is God has willed me in this direction, but I also committed in that direction. And I'm rolling together. That's how we roll, right? You know, we're rolling together with the Lord. Christ has taken uh, the Spirit by that commitment. He wills us in that direction. And then once that momentum gets moving, we're not going to go back to the other direction. We're fully committed. You know my life verse, or you, if you don't, 2 Timothy 1.12, for I know whom I believed in, persuaded he is able to keep that which I have what? Committed to him until that day. We have to commit. Say, Lord, if we commit, you'll help us to keep that commitment. And lastly, uh, number seven, we don't really love this last part, because it involves the word wait and patiently. 
He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And then there's some more uh, reminder here not to fret. Going back to verse 1. He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness. Bringing it to pass isn't always on the time schedule we've mapped out, is it? Bringing it to pass. Um, if you study the, many of the saints in the Bible, many of them waited way longer for certain things than they ever thought when they started out. Joseph gets his dream, goes and tells his brothers. It's a 13-year journey of slavery and dungeon before the dream comes to fruition. David, hey, you're king. He's running from Saul for years, barely holding it together before he becomes king, right? And that's not unusual. Abraham, you're going to have a son. When? Probably in a week or two, right, Lord? No. Try decades. To the point where they both were giving up faith and saying, oh, is this ever going to happen? So when God says, oh, bring it to pass, when will the septic system be finished? When, Lord? When? I just found out this week that it's not going to be ready by Easter because the county hasn't approved the permit yet. I know how fast government normally works, but in this case, yeah, right, you know. So it's going to take an extra two weeks for the permit. They're short-staffed, and they can't get someone out here. And if they could, they would, but they can't, so they won't. So they do have, we do have a backup solution that hopefully at least gets us through. But it'll probably get done two, three weeks after Easter now. But it says to rest in the Lord, to wait patiently. And that's not the biggest issue in my life. I'm sure you've got, that's not the one... Most of you have probably not lost any sleep about our We can laugh about that one, but there's others in your life that you're not laughing about, right? There's others in your life that you aren't able to rest. It keeps you up at night. It does bother you. You can't get a laugh out of it just yet. And yet, the Lord says, wait patiently. So those other things, the other things on the list, that's how you wait patiently. You just be doing those things, and it helps us wait patiently. It's not just like skip down to wait patiently, because we don't know how to wait patiently. We have to be doing these other things, and it helps us wait patiently. Does that make sense? In other words, those other things put our mind in the right framework. They put our spirit in the right place. They were able to kind of breathe the way the Holy Spirit wants us to breathe and say, all right, I can wait patiently because I'm doing the work of the Lord. I'm rejoicing. I'm in his word. I'm ministering to people. I'm being encouraged. All of these things, and that helps us to wait patiently. And then when you're with the body of Christ, you find out they're all waiting for something too. And we're all on the same kind of boat in that respect. But he says to rest. Jesus said, come unto me and I'll give you what? Rest. I'll give you rest. But all the things that we've got going on, you know, we look out there and everyone else in the world, their problems don't look like problems. Our problems look really big. Chuck Swindoll said, we are all faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. And they do look impossible, but Jesus said what's not possible with man is possible with God. We serve a God of the impossible. But he's called us to rest. And um, in the book of Hebrews, I'll just read this last verse and we'll come to a close. 
in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 13, 21, says uh, that the Lord will make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. These things, God says, look, feed on my faithfulness, and I'll make you complete. Dwell in the land. Dwell in my word. Dwell with the people of God. I'll make you complete. In every good work, I'll do my will through you, through Christ Jesus. Amen? Close in prayer. Father, we thank you for another time in your word. Lord, we ask that uh, you would take what we've heard. And Lord, as we deposit the obedience of commitment and surrender and thanksgiving and trust, trusting in you, trusting in your will, Lord, that you would deposit in us a deeper faith, a waiting spirit. Lord, the perspective to keep our eyes focused on you, uh, a heart and a love for those that are lost, that, that uh, Lord, are on the broad road to destruction. All of these things, Lord, you would help us as we focus on you to give us the right perspective. And as we respond in obedience, just trust and obey, Lord, that you would show us that really, there really is no other way to be joyful in Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.